Welcome to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, where we talk about issues facing our Big Island community. Island Conversations, Sunday mornings on KWXX at 6.30 and on B97B93 at 7 a.m. Or listen anytime at kwxx.com. Island Conversations, brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916. Now, here's your host and producer, Sherry Bracken. Aloha, everybody. Good morning. Monday morning, August 3rd. Welcome to this special bonus podcast for Island Conversations. Because of the spike in cases that we've had over the last week, mostly on Oahu, to be fair, I thought this was a very good time to get an update from our Lieutenant Governor, Emergency Room Dr. Josh Green, and we just finished speaking on the phone, and I wanted to get this posted as quickly as possible. By the way, we do have one active case on Hawaii Island this morning, which Civil Defense Director Talmadge Magno tells me is is related to mainland travel, but he did say we've had several cases in the last several weeks that have been related to travel to Oahu. Here's our conversation with Lieutenant Governor Josh Green. Good morning, Sherry. How are you? I'm excellent. How are you doing? Great. Successful time, I guess, for many. It's certainly certainly a lot on our minds. Well, there is a lot on our minds, and thank you for giving us a little time to get your perspective on some of these things. As we're speaking on Monday morning, August 3rd at 8 a.m., the state has had a pretty big spike in cases over the past 30 days. This morning, according to State Department of Health, as of yesterday, we have 922 active infections out of 2,242 cumulative cases. And although this morning we learned from Hawaii County Civil Defense that we have one active case, it's really Oahu that's the big problem because they have more than 900 active cases. So how do you, Lieutenant Governor and Doctor, how do you assess the state of Hawaii's situation relative to COVID-19 right now? Well, we're in an enormous surge right now. This is the riskiest time we face, without a doubt. The fact that we've had triple-digit numbers each of the last four or five days uh, including yesterday, honestly, because we had some reporting challenges on Sunday from one of the last, and we did hear that it was likely a triple-digit day. We'll get that sorted out soon uh, in the next hour or two. It means that we are truly at a crossroads. If we don't get containment of the virus now, it will exceed our capacity from the Department of Health side to trace and, and test people, and then it will run out of control like it did in other states like Florida and New York. That is a bad circumstance. We can break down the numbers further as we go, but we have a last moment here where if we socially distance ourselves properly on Oahu, which people have not been doing, unfortunately, and if we avoid large gatherings, gatherings of no more than 10, and we trace people, we can actually keep the virus down to a minimum like it is on Big Island. If we don't do that, we're going to head rapidly for a total shutdown, and that's the only way we'll reset. You talked about contact tracing, and up through last Wednesday, State Department of Health Director Bruce Anderson was insisting that the State Department of Health had an adequate number of contact tracers. The very next day, the governor acknowledged what you have been saying all along, what Dr. Scott Miskovich, who does a lot of testing in the state, has said all along that we do not have enough contact tracers, and I'm frankly quite puzzled because according to the State Department of Health's website, they have 77 contact tracers working, but they've repeatedly said they have 400 who are trained. So 
what's the problem? Why are we not bringing in every contact tracer? And I realize this is not your department. You are not Department of Health, and you're not the governor, right. so you can't override. But what's going on, and what should the state be doing right now? Well, you actually hit the nail on the head. The state should immediately hire 400 contact tracers. Uh, there is a small bit of good news in addition to what you reported, and that's that General Hara is going to bring on, it looks like, 68 uh, 68 military or, you know, reservists who will do contact tracing to support the Department of Health. But of all the things that we've done, and many have been good in Hawaii to keep ourselves in a position we've ha- where we've had the lowest mortality rate in the country, where a lot of things have been good, this has been our most significant failure. There's no excuse to not have an army of contact tracers right now in place. And uh, we are all at a loss as to why the Department of Health continuously said we have enough. We simply don't. And of that 77, the untold story there is that very few of them have been full-time contact tracers. Only a small handful have been full-time, and they've been under great duress. So when you have that circumstance, it's no wonder that, for example, the cases that spiraled out of control in Kalihi this last five days, mostly Pacific Islanders uh, from from, uh, some of our smaller Pacific Island communities, when those cases spiked, they now represent 33% of all of our cases, we were unable to go in there with an army of contact tracers to help, to be on the ground, to be providing uh, language-appropriate tracing and testing and, and public health services. So it's really a bit of a mystery to us why, when we have the federal funds to do that, the state received a $50 million grant from the Department of Health and the CDC, why they didn't just dive on that. And... It runs the gamut from the House to the Senate to me to many in the medical community. Almost everybody I've talked to in the medical community have said we have to have that, not because we want to waste resources, but because the only the only active tools you have, the active tools, of course, you have passive tools to telling people you got to stay in and not not gather in groups. The active tools you have is to immediately contact everybody that's been infected, and all of their close contacts, quarantine them and and test them. In states that did that, they've done very well. In states that don't, the, the virus tends to run out of control. So I will keep pushing that until until I'm done with this response. And I'll tell you, it's a, um, it's a discouraging reality that sometimes things don't get done when they should because we could have really ameliorated a lot of the problem. And now you can imagine it's going to have a pretty significant impact on the opening of schools or the economy. Well, that is a huge concern for everyone. And I appreciate what you said about federal funding, because I was going to ask, I know that we specifically got federal funding. Senator Brian Schatz mentioned it. Senator Maisie Hirono mentioned it. Rep. Ed Case mentioned it. Specifically, we got millions, 30 to 50 million, specifically for contact tracing. Where's that money? Well, they say that they're putting a proposal to the CDC, and some of that money is going to go to enhance the state lab, I'm told. But there's, you know, there's gigantic amounts of money that are necessary to do this, to, to do this project. And also, they have lots and lots of money from the uh, the legislature. No one, no one is withholding funds to do contact tracing and testing. Uh, also, of course, you've got the counties as well that have been given lots of resources that can augment some of these services. But it really is better if it's centralized at the Department of Health because they then keep one you know, data repository and they are able to do what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to, of course, protecting the health of Hawaii. And, and they're doing it to a degree. But this particular fail is a problem because 
many of what other policy decisions we can make emanate from, number one, the number of cases and whether there's a lot of community spread. And two, uh, it appears that the Department of Health, uh, Dr. Park especially, has thrown her hands up and said it's endemic. Now, I refuse to accept the fact that we can't, in a small state, continue to try to surround the virus and certainly do all we can to slow spread because the slower the spread, it buys us more time. And Dr. Fauci has been now reporting that we can expect as many as three different vaccinations toward the end of the year. So I'm hopeful that we will get there with minimal loss of life. But, you know, I, I've been very frustrated, and, and I'm not afraid of, of sharing openly frustrations because I think it's better to be transparent than to stay quiet. I'm frustrated that we don't just dive on the, this part of the problem. And I think that you will see a big surge in the number of contact tracers this week just because of all the attention on the problem. But it might be too little too late. And if we see the next 10 days, we're going to do a two-week, certainly going to do a two-week trial of the new rules of, of, of group gatherings, no greater than 10, bars being closed, and so on. Uh, that's a only modest benefit, I would guess. Uh, we'll do two weeks of this, but if it's, if it's still 100 cases a day, I guarantee you we'll go back to what works, and that is uh, the safer-at-home policy, which is pretty much a stay-at-home, except when you have to do the, the critical stuff. As you pointed out, we all have a personal responsibility to wear masks and stay distant and wash our hands, do all those things. It's not a secret to anybody. But the whole issue of contact tracing in communities that may not have English as a first language, I know that you have made the point, Dr. Scott Miskovich has made the point, other health officials have made the point that you have to have contact tracers who maybe don't just call on the phone but go out into the community and reassure them that this tracing is nothing nefarious. It's actually for everybody's good. Do you know if the state... Department of Health is looking for people within those communities to be those guiding lights? It's not totally clear. Uh, the best way to do that efficiently and quickly, in my opinion, and I've had um, some conversations in the last couple of days about this, is to use the community health centers, which we have a nice one, of course, in Kona, as you've been very involved with. But all across the state, we have community health centers that have embedded uh, people of ethnicity that would be appropriate to the task. And this is a good way. I recommended this uh, a couple of days ago. This is a good way for the city and county of Honolulu and each of the county mayors to invest in their community health centers and have them use community health workers to go and be a part of this in total tandem partnership with the Department of Health. They're already there on staff. They're already employed and available. They have the language skills, and they also have the, the trust of the community. So that's the way you do it fast. I would say that, boy, if we don't do that, it will be – look, they're working so hard at the Department of Health. Don't, don't let me sound overly critical. But if we don't do that, you're only going to get uh, modest returns. And so Scott is totally right, Dr. Miskovich. You have to do those things. And the good news is that we prepared for this time by having a good geographic spread of health centers. So we should do it. And we should do it immediately because every day that passes where the virus becomes more entrenched and you have more active cases – I mean, I'm looking at my board from Friday. It was 8:42, and now it's 9:22. Right, of active people with COVID out in the community, it will be an unstoppable force if we don't do it. The community health centers, I agree, are very well positioned, but 
they can't just add this on as an additional function. They're going to need to have money coming in from county or state because they are going to have to hire some people, I am sure, to sort of fill in behind those people if they get contact tracers out in the community. Yes, totally. So I think that they would it would be CARES money, and it could be pretty modest, too. We're usually talking about community health workers that do a wonderful job for a very modest uh, total cost, but they are terrific human beings. They they really care deeply about the public health and preventive health concerns of their community. And there are a few things that are more preventive health in nature than trying to stop the pandemic by just these social mechanisms and the occasional test and tracing. And they will know the families. For instance, one example is there was a Pacific Islander family that had two positive cases. But living in their 1,000-square-foot home, they had 22 individuals. My goodness. Coming and going. Wow. 22. And, and you could be sure that the better part of that family is all going to test positive. And we've seen a surge of the Pacific Islander community. Today, there's 43 individuals all at one hospital here in Honolulu that um, is very well known to us all. So it's, a, uh, it's an enormous challenge, but doing that with some basic funding is smart. I mean, just, just, to, just compare the cost, okay? It's, of course, a human concern for me, but when you start thinking about what the impact will be, the average length of stay in a hospital for someone with COVID is 10.5 days. The average cost is in $45,000 a stay. So $45,000 could pay for probably two full-time contact tracers for, for eight months. And we could be preventing so many cases, just, just the one case. I mean, imagine if you stopped 100 cases, in other words, an outbreak or a surge. So... This is the time to get on that. I'm recommending that kind of in real time right now. After we're on the phone, I'll be speaking with the governor and, and the rest of the leadership team. And this is the kind of thing that could help essentially bail out the Department of Health and get them more on the right track. And a brief interruption to let you know, this is a bonus podcast of Island Conversations. It's a news update from Lieutenant Governor Josh Green. I'm Sherry Bracken, and we spoke on Monday morning, August 3rd, around 8 o'clock. And we spoke before the state had announced Monday's numbers, which Lieutenant Governor Green told me would be high. I believe it's going to be 207, which includes a lag from Sunday's count because the data was not all reported on Sunday. COVID is clearly a serious situation. We need to know where we are and what needs to happen to get us where we need to be. We'll get back to Lieutenant Governor Josh Green after a brief word from our sponsor, KTA Superstores. At KTA, local and fresh means you get the very best Hawaii Island has to offer. The grass-fed meats you find at KTA are raised without added hormones or antibiotics. Our seafood department is stocked with sustainable choices caught in local waters by local fishermen. KTA carries the largest selection of Hawaii Island homegrown produce. Our mountain apple brand is all local so you know it's fresh and delicious. Local and fresh always tastes best at KTA. I'd like to turn the conversation to school. As you know, most of the schools are using different kinds of learning models online or in person, sometimes a combination. And I know that every island is different. And I I don't want to talk about Oahu because it's got so many active cases. But here on the big island, we have one active, which Hawaii County Civil Defense says is travel related. How should what we're going through now affect the decision of a parent to send their kids to school, specifically here on the Big Island? Great question. Well, because we've had so much good news lately, uh, as far as Big Island and Kauai and, and Maui, too, all the neighbor islands, 
it is pretty safe. It's very, very safe, in fact. Does it give me pause? Of course. And we've asked the Department of Health to give us very clear recommendations as to what will happen if there's a positive case or if a kid shows up with fever or if there's even an outbreak in one of the school pods. But with decent recommendations and low case counts, school can be reinitiated. If, however, the case counts, like, for instance, on Oahu, are kind of rampant and we don't have adequate testing, which has been one of the complaints nationally, then it's a lot harder to convince parents to send their kids kids into school. And I would expect that a lot of people will opt for distance learning only. We're still not totally decided as a state where we're going to go. The Department of Education, one of the challenges has been it's always been Oahu-centric, right? And for all, all my years, kind of lovingly as your state rep and senator, I'll tell you, we always wondered whether or not we should not have our own Department of Education because we felt a different uh, sense of uh, need and approach to education. Well, now look, you've got 922 active cases of a life-threatening virus on one island and one on the other island, yet we're trying to figure out whether or not we should have one standard for opening. And it's kind of common sense that the Big Island guys should be able to make their own decisions. Lieutenant Governor Green, we are obviously all incredibly concerned about the economy. I mean, here, my husband and I went out to dinner last night, and restaurants are very empty. We appreciate those that are still open. But obviously, everybody's concerned about every single business. Has Governor indicated any change in his intent to reopen tourism September 1st? And I say intent and not plan because I haven't seen anything firm coming out yet from the governor's office, any specifics about uh, reopening on September 1st. So what's being thought about at the highest levels of state government relative to completely reopening to tourism and therefore doing something for the economy? Oh, I think you actually uh, said it very uh, graciously. The intent is kind of all that we have had uh, as of now, right? And the things that are factoring into the governor's thinking are several. One, of course, is the number of cases that have been on the mainland. As the mainland has surged, there's been some pause as to whether or not we would be able to get enough testing in place adequately to open up to get people screened. But I do think it's very possible. And every day, new testing methodologies are getting approved that are quite good, even research here. So that's one. Two, when there was a very dense spread of the of the virus on the mainland, especially in markets that come to Hawaii, that was making people worried. So the governor's been tipping or tilting towards the bubble with Japan more, where the, the active cases have been at a much, much lower rate. The other things that, of course, end up in consideration are, can we actually trace and track and manage our own cases at the hospital level? We can. Our hospital levels, which is one of my principal responsibilities, have been very low, which is great news. Uh, as of uh, the Sunday, we had only, I think it was 15 individuals in an intensive care unit bed in the state with COVID and 10 on ventilator. Mostly our ventilators have been fully available. We're only using 15% of our statewide capacity. We have seen an uptick, though, in the number of cases in the hospital overall. It got up to about 75. And needless to say, because of the recent thousand cases, we're going to get about 100, 110 additional hospitalizations. That's just how the numbers play out. So we are okay. We're, we're continuing to maintain our capacity, but all these things weigh into whether the Gov will feel comfortable pulling the trigger. We have not pulled back from the September 1st date, and I'm just doing my job day in, day out, trying to prepare us if that becomes a reality. In other words, have a test available, a three-day advanced screening, and 
trying to get us up in our numbers of ability to test and trace people here. Really, it has not been travelers, even though we've had some that have spread the disease. It's mostly been, and this is no fault of anyone, it's our own returns. When we live here, we end up spending a lot more time with people after returning, and if some people are positive, we see spread from our local community. Well, that's what Department of Health has said, that we have mostly local transmission. This morning and yesterday, I was listening to Dr. Deborah Burks on TV. She was featured on both Fox News and CNN, just basically mm-hmm. saying in America, the mainland of the United States, things are not good that she likened it to a wildfire, I believe it was. There is a lot more concern. So this will be a challenging decision. And I'm not even clear how many people will want to get on a plane to come to Hawaii and how that will all affect our business. Yeah, that's completely true. I'm actually glad you said that because this idea that it's black and white, you open and we'll have tourism again, you stay closed, we won't. Well, sure, we stay closed, we won't. But even under the best circumstances, if we open up to tourism in September and October, you're really talking about a trickle of tourism. We might get six or 7,000 passengers a day, maybe, down from 30,000. And the hotels will tell you, and many restaurants will tell you, that having a small trickle of tourism comparatively is almost worse than having you know, a full solution because if they open up hotels and have a lot of overhead, they can't, they can't maintain their costs, and they'll, they'll do worse. They would rather probably have a very safe, full reopening than that or get all the way, say, to 50%. It's going to take time. We've been polling out there in the mainland and, and across Europe and Asia to find out who is going to travel. And travel is going to be very seriously diminished for a year at least, if not two. It gives us an opportunity to rethink how we're going to have our economy structured. That's certainly important. I'm not trying to be all Pollyanna about things. I mean, it's a, it's a crisis, but it will give us that opportunity to have new priorities and hopefully put new incentives for business in to come and be in Hawaii because this is going to happen again. It won't be necessarily a coronavirus, but every eight to 10 years, we're going to have a major threat uh, in Hawaii from infectious disease. Next time, I can tell you, we'll do a lot better at it. We'll know how to quickly shut down and contain the disease. This time around, it's not going to be immediately a flip the switch and tourism comes back. In the meantime, something is going to have to be done to help support local people and local businesses because we cannot have people just being evicted from their homes, living on the streets. You know, I'm not eager to have us spend tons of money, but I don't see any other solution than that right now, both at the state and the federal level. Yeah, I mean, there's some things we can do without spending money, although we should be very supportive of those who don't get their resources. For instance, we're going to continue to extend the moratorium on eviction, which is important. But if someone has owned a property and they own a mortgage, they still need to get resources. So I think we're going to also have to be supportive of those who are property owners and, of course, mostly people who are unemployed. The unemployment insurance bump from the federal government was pretty big. It was $600 a week, $2,400 a month. That was matching about the same number here in in Hawaii. So people were receiving about $5,000 a month, which was in general enough to get by on. So tough, of course, right? But now when that federal dollar has gone away, there's a bit of a skirmish going on in Washington. That's why I ran for lieutenant governor instead of congressperson. It's too stinky there. But... (laughs) The, uh, the truth is they're going to have to come up with something. I think they'll come up with $300 a week would be my guess. The other agreement that appears to be in place that the White House and the House of Representatives 
Congresswoman Pelosi seem to have announced is that they will do the $1,200, you know, one-time uh, check again for individuals, which in some ways is a decent compromise because it's simpler, it's discreet, it's already been done, it hopefully will not be too screwed up. And, yeah, I- I'm with you. I don't want to spend money forever, but anything to prevent hunger in children and uh, homelessness in working families, anything we have to do for this period of time we should do because good news is COVID will end and the underpinnings of our economy were solid. It's not like this won't take a dent out of us, but it is recoverable. And Hawaii will recover quite quickly because there is pent up huge demand to come and escape this um, basically a nightmare on the mainland. That's true. I've talked to a couple of friends on the mainland over the weekend, and they said they're quite eager to come to Hawaii. And I've said, just just wait, just wait, <laughs> wait, wait till we figure it well, out. We're going to swab you. The lieutenant governor is going to meet you at the airport and test you for COVID. But after that, come and have an extraordinary experience. And I think people are going to value their experiences more than ever. What I've been trying to do, Sherry, is to keep the numbers at bay and keep our mortality rate lowest in the country and world because I want us to be able to, at the end of this whole experience, point to that as an example that we did a good job and it's safe to come here. It's one of the main reasons I'm so frustrated at times with the Department of Health when I feel that they probably could have kept about half of these cases at bay with extra, you know, with abundant and over contact tracing. But nothing is perfect and certainly we have not had a crisis like this before. So we'll welcome people back and we'll welcome them back safely. In fact, it appears to me that once the virus is not kind of just spreading like wildfire, like like uh, Dr. Brick said, it will be possible to open for travel and have testing and, and safe conditions. I, I believe that. There's going to be a whole lot of, and I've been touring hotels and, and airports and hospitals, there's going to be a whole lot of additional security in place to prevent spread of the, the disease. Anything else we should know before we say aloha, Lieutenant Governor Dr. Josh Green? Uh, just, I, I just want to thank people for uh, for what they've done. People have made an incredible sacrifice. I know that a lot of us feel that uh, social distancing and and uh, people gathering has been a little lax lately, and I and I also know there's a frustration out there, especially from those who have gone the extra mile to prevent spread. But we're all human. It's a great challenge, and people have suffered quite terribly, but to an end that has saved many lives in the state of Hawaii. We've had 26 fatalities right now to date. We had projected 4,479 fatalities had we let COVID roll right over us. Incredible, incredible loss of life had we not done what we needed to do. But that sacrifice should be rewarded, and we should open up the economy, and we should open up schools as soon as it's safe, and know that every day I'm going to keep I'm going to keep fighting this virus and trying to make that our reality. So stay tuned. Every single day we'll work on this and uh, do your best to socially distance and wear a mask. That's the best I can do today. I also appreciate your continuing one-minute updates almost every day on Facebook, on your Facebook page, where you completely summarize the situation relative to cases and capacities, because that's very helpful to have people get it in a truncated form. So thank you for doing that. Keep that up. You bet. My pleasure. Be safe out there. Thank you so much, Lieutenant Governor Dr. Josh Green. Aloha. Aloha.
This is a bonus podcast of Island Conversations. I'm Sherry Bracken. We talked with Governor Josh Green on Monday morning, August 3rd, to get an update on the COVID situation. Thank you so much to our listeners for being here. Until our next Island Conversation or audio news update, please, let's all live and drive with aloha and wear masks. Thank you for listening to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, available anytime at kwxx.com. We welcome your feedback and suggestions at info at kwxx.com. Join us next week for another Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken. Brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916.